0: Welcome to the Evoke Ag Podcast, the show where we take a look at the ag tech and food innovations changing the future of farming. Hello and welcome to the Evoke Ag Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Honour. Today, we bring you an Evoke Ag and Food Futurist collaboration series with Professor Andy Lowe. Exploring solutions today that will help drive sustainable food systems tomorrow. Here, Andy speaks with Peter Wren Hilton, the CEO of Wharf42, a consultancy specialising in connecting local and international partners, particularly New Zealand startups and early stage agritech companies, to support the Trans Tasman agritech sector scale its global presence. Peter is also the founder of Agritech New Zealand convener of the 2035 Oceana Summit and works closely with AgriFutures on our VOCAG steering committee. Andy caught up with Peter back in May this year to learn more about the 2035 Oceana Summit set to take place on the 10th and 11th of October 2022 in Auckland, New Zealand. The 2035 Oceana Summit has been designed to enable the region's scientific and research community, industry leaders agribusiness and agritech companies farmers and growers regulators and policymakers, to meet and discuss how agri-food tech innovation and on-farm application can help address the existential threat posed by climate change we hope you enjoy this conversation and if you're interested in attending the 2035 Oceana Summit please register at 2035.ag and you can find more details in our show notes
1: Having the big conversations around agricultural sustainability and climate change is a challenging space, but we need to move the public discourse and expectation towards a properly sustainable vision of the future. Today's guest is Peter Wren Hilton, founding executive director of Agritech New Zealand and convener of the 2035 Oceana Summit scheduled for the 10th and 11th of October later this year in New Zealand. Hear from Peter on combining sustainability and agritech thinking to mitigate climate challenges, structuring high level conversations to develop policy for change here in Australia, New Zealand, with Pacific partners and into the global ecosystem, and how to motivate regional partnerships to deliver on these plans. So, Peter, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Andy. Yeah, and we're lucky to have you here in person. You've flown over from New Zealand uh, to Adelaide and just arrived on Friday. I, I did. It's actually about two years too late. Um, I had <laughs> hoped to
2: come over last year, actually in July, when I was asked um, to keynote at Advance Ag. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: two days before I was due to jump on a plane in Auckland, uh, South Australia's borders closed. Yeah. Um, and so I had to completely rearrange my flight planning to come in in october and then realized that i probably couldn't actually get back to new zealand because of our quarantine rules. so uh yeah this is the first trip to south australia in just
1: over two years and i think we're, we're all enjoying the new freedoms uh that we, we all have now and uh you know the, those those trips that we put on hold for the last two years it's now starting to come back into the diaries. So it's uh, a good time, isn't
2: it? No, you're you're, you're absolutely right. I, I used to travel, I guess, uh, overseas probably every couple of months, um, and I was deliriously excited last week when I got into Auckland, <laughs> Airport, thinking, "What's this? I just checked my passport <laughs> wasn't out of date." But yeah, indecently excited. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. very indecently <laughs> excited. No, but it's great. It's great to be here, and it's great to catch up with uh, with the agri-tech ecosystem here in in South Australia.
1: Yeah. And so, well, tell us a bit about that, because... uh you're here for a pre-event uh, for the 2035 uh, Oceania Summit, which you're convener of. So maybe if we unpack that a bit, you know what what is what is the 2035 Oceania Summit? Okay, so I'll give a little bit of context.
2: Um, originally, and again, this was uh, impacted by COVID. Um, I was asked by uh, UK Department of International Trade by their Global Entrepreneur Program lead. Um, Rob Ward, um, to see whether I would co-convene uh, an Agritech Climate Summit at COP26 in Glasgow last November. Um, for a whole stack of reasons, as we got closer to the date, we, there was so much uncertainty about what COP26 would look like, we decided to um, defer that. Um, but people at the time said, well, why don't you do a similar kind of event down in your part of the world, i.e. Mm. down here in um, Australia, New Zealand, and, uh, and the Pacific Islands, Oceania, and what the summit is really designed to do is to identify ways in which agri technology can support farmers and growers, reduce their greenhouse gas emissions, but also help them uh, mitigate uh, a changing climate. Um, what we do know is that when you look at climate emission, uh, gas, greenhouse gas emissions, between twenty-five and forty percent are uh, produced by the agri-food. Um, System, and that's not just behind the farm gate. That's the whole uh, agri-food supply chain. Um, so it's a pretty significant contributor to greenhouse greenhouse gases. But also, of course, as the world's population increases, we need to grow more food, um, and so we need to help farmers grow food uh, at a time when climate changes make that more challenging, whether it's the floods currently being experienced on the East Coast or the fires that were uh, on the East Coast when I was last here in 2019, mm-hmm. we're finding that these events are becoming more severe and more
1: frequent. Mm-hmm. So how can we help farmers address those problems? A land of fire and flood. And so, um, you know, how... Uh, so uh, there's clearly a need to have this this conversation so what, what what do you find is, is the best way to have those kind of conversations within the format of a summit? I mean, with a summit, you've kind of got the almost the kudos of a United Nations uh, kind of style meeting. So you can bring together some pretty uh, interesting players, some quite important players in the area, and you can kind of engineer uh, those important conversations. Is that the the attraction for a summit?
2: I, th- I think that is absolutely the attraction, but I, I go back one step and you, you ask the question is, you know, how do you actually position this type of event Um, and I'm going to go back to the kind of the you know the end user the farmer and the grower and certainly this is the situation in New Zealand where I spend most of my time farmers and growers when you talk to them about climate you get that kind of glazed look and they think about regulation compliance cost Um, form filling you know (laughs) all all outside and I I guess that farmers (laughs) in South Australia and Victoria and New South Wales have that same effect What we need to focus on, though, is the impact of not adjusting to the climate. And so one of the interesting features of the summit in uh, October in Auckland is that we will be having representatives coming in from Europe, uh, particularly uh, people at the other end of the supply chain. So supermarkets such as Tesco's, Waitrose, they will be telling us what they expect to, uh, and defined by, say, carbon neutral by 2025. And so if farmers and growers in this part of the world aren't reducing their carbon footprint, then those large supermarkets simply won't buy our product. And that brings in a really interesting economic argument. And at that moment, farmers' eyes become less glazed because they actually (laughs) understand what selling product is all about. And so suddenly addressing the climate challenge is no longer just a cost. It becomes an opportunity because if they can reduce their carbon footprint to as little as possible, then they're likely to obtain much higher prices in those big overseas markets. So it really changes
1: the focus of the conversation. So do you think do you think that's been the major shift in the agricultural sector? It's moved away from you know a kind of policy constrained, uh, government regulated uh, kind of system aiming for kind of global targets that nobody really understands, let's be honest, uh, uh, through to kind of industry-led uh, initiative because consumers are responding and want something done about that. So the big buyers, uh, the wholesalers, the supermarkets have understood that, and then they're passing that simple <laughs> Uh, a simple framework back down, back up the supply chain. Really, I, I, I think there's real evidence of that,
2: particularly in mm. Australia. Uh, yeah. I'll give you a great example: um, Meat and livestock, uh, livestock Australia have set themselves a 2030 target to be completely carbon neutral across the red meat sector. Now, that is way more ambitious by 2030. By 2030, isn't it? Yeah, by yeah. 2030. that's, yeah, that's eight, really ambitious. That's very, yeah. very ambitious. Yeah. Um, that's way more ambitious and it's above my pay grade (laughs) because obviously I don't really want to comment on Australian politics, um, but they're moving much faster than government. And I think there's a lot of evidence uh, that industry groups in Australia are moving a lot quicker than government because they understand the imperative of reducing that carbon footprint to keep access to those global markets. Um, So I think that is, and in some ways, the same thing is happening in New Zealand, although in New Zealand, I think the government is probably slightly more uh, focused on um, climate change and certainly a lot of legislation that's currently being passed uh, proves that, Uh, but it's being driven by industry. I think farmers and growers are slowly but surely realising that unless they reduce their carbon footprint, there may no longer be a market for them to sell their product, at least offshore.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't matter what some extremes of the National Party uh, think, uh, yeah, farmers uh, have to get on board with it because it maintains that access to those global markets. So what's the um, so that, that's 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 the kind of financial and kind of market imperative. Well, what are some of the technology uh, pieces, and how does a summit kind of have those conversations to uh, to encourage adoption, but also development of of, the, of those new areas?
2: Again, again, great question, Andy. And I'm going to use one example. Um, we're using the summit as an option or opportunity rather to um, bring together different players to address one very specific challenge in our region. And that's the challenge faced by the Pacific Islands uh, around climate and food security. So, you know, every time I hear that a a cyclone is about to hit Vanuatu, I kind of guess that half the annual crop is about to disappear. And so with those events becoming more frequent, um, the need to support the islands uh, in a very constructive way is important. And so we're looking to host a roundtable in Auckland on the 12th of October um, that we hope will be attended by... MFAT, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade in Wellington, DFAT, uh, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade in Canberra, together with various international organizations such as the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, SIDS, the Small Island Developing States, Um, IFAD have said that they will send a delegation over from Rome. And what we want to do is to build a roundtable so that we can try and design a framework to support the islands going forward, Uh, because as climate changes, not only do sea levels rise, which again create almost an existential threat to some of the low-lying islands, Um, but just that dramatic change of uh, climate is going to create potentially long-term issues um, around food production uh, and food security.
1: Yeah. And so you'd be hoping for uh, not only a discussion, but perhaps some kind of agreement or some kind of, you know, call to arms or, or action Blueprint that might come out of those discussions. Absolutely.
2: What we're not assuming is that the the summit is kind of a two day event. Yeah. Um, the summit really is a platform from which we expect a number of these types of discussions to 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 grow. So we'll have both that um, Pacific Island discussion, but there are other discussions. Um, I was able to announce two weeks ago that David Mundell uh, will be speaking at the event. Um, David was recently appointed as the UK's trade envoy to New Zealand um, on the back of the UK NZ uh, free trade agreement. And again, that clearly implies that there are going to be opportunities outside the confines of the summit centre um, to talk about trade. Um, and I imagine there'll be similar conversations with the Australian delegation that, uh, uh, that um, come across the ditch to, to to Auckland in October.
1: Yeah. And so, uh, you know, something like this doesn't replace the comps. It does the work. That's required to get the groups together to agree to then be ratified through the next COP. You know this, uh, and this is focused around agricultural sustainability, food production sustainability sector. So you'd hope there would be, you know, uh, other meetings of this type that are around the broader area of sustainability that happens uh, outside of the COP meetings. But it's definitely the role for this to kind of uh, interdigitate with with the priorities that are brought up at the COP on an on an annual basis as well.
2: No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and interesting, although this is being set up as a regional event, i.e. Oceania, it's attracting a lot of interest from offshore. And when yeah. I say offshore, I'm talking about North America, Europe, Asia. Um, and so we're expecting a number of delegates to come down to this part of the world because, you know, it is that kind of focus on agri, which wasn't necessarily apparent at COP 26 in Glasgow, where you had 30,000 delegates looking at every aspect of, uh, of of climate. This is very specifically focused around agri, but given agri's contribution to um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions and our need to keep producing more food to accommodate a growing population, um, it is attracting global interest. So that's that's great. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I'm here now. We have these pre-summit workshops taking place in Canberra yeah. last week, um, Adelaide tomorrow, and uh, Sydney next week. And it's really to pull together the local ecosystems at a state level of industry, research, research, um, um, governments, investors, startups, people really focused in this particular area to see whether or not we can actually identify opportunities to collaborate at a local level, as well as this kind of trans-Tasman, wider Oceania level.
1: Yeah, so these are really kind of regional uh, mirrors on the uh, the global uh, summit that will be... Uh, when, when's the date? It's October the... It's the 10th and the 11th. 10th. It's 10th the 10th and month. 11th of October. Yep. So we'll certainly promote that as part of the... Uh, at the podcast we'll uh, send through you know the links to that as well so for Great. anybody who's interested uh, in attending and of course not all the tickets are sold yet for the event in New Zealand they are for tomorrow aren't they? <laughs> no, they, but... <laughs> they, they,
2: they, they certainly are no we're just beginning to um, promote some very similar regional workshops within New Zealand that will start off in Auckland on the 31st of May, but um, no, we've got plenty of tickets left for the main event, which is in October. Uh, we've actually taken over the largest conference venue in Auckland, um, so we're reasonably confident we'll get a, a good-sized delegation, including obviously a large delegation from Australia.
1: Yeah, and the uh, again, you know, doing the work beforehand, getting together these regional groupings, having the large summit, these regional groupings will then allow you to promulgate. The the agreements and the activities afterwards as well. So you'd probably be hoping to to maintain the the momentum uh, for for those groups between potentially another uh, summit which might come up in in, a, in another period of time. This this isn't just a one off, is it? This is uh, this is a movement which is now happening. Would that be fair to say? I I, I
2: I think it is, Andy. You know, I refer to it before as a platform, um, not just as a two day conference. Um, you know, I've been around for quite a time um, in terms of the agritech space, both in the region and uh, globally. Um, and I wouldn't have spent 18 months just focusing on a two day conference. That's not kind of my <laughs> my business. Um, but creating a platform is which will have, we hope, um, you know, long term opportunities. Um, benefits. Um, And I think just by gathering together different stakeholders across the region, we can begin to build something that might make a reasonably significant difference going forward.
1: Yeah. Great. And good luck with it all. I'm sure it's going to be uh, uh, fantastically successful. Um, I might just ask a little bit about, you know, Evoke and the, uh, you know, we uh, we're here as part of the, the Evoke podcast series, and there seems to be a lot of synergy between uh, the Oceania Summit uh, 2035 and the focus for, for Evoke. So, but you're definitely working hand in glove. Uh, with Evoke, you're, you're part of the advisory uh, group for Evoke as well. And so just uh, maybe, maybe let's just explore that a little bit. What's the uh, what's the synergies between between those elements?
2: Yeah. So uh, as I said before, I, I do wear a few hats. Uh, and one of those hats is a member of the Evoke um, AG steering committee. Um, and in fact, I've been on that steering committee since 2018. So before the very first Evoke conference in Melbourne, um, I was working with uh, the team at AgriFutures Australia uh, on developing the, the of OKG program. Um, the two events that have taken place in Melbourne, we brought over 100 Kiwis to each event. Um, and that was really designed to identify opportunities for partnership and collaboration between different New Zealand and different Australian organisations, whether they were research, whether it was private sector investment. Um, and we're planning to do the same thing again in February next year when we come down to Adelaide. Uh, really pleased that um we are in adelaide there's an amazing uh ecosystem here which uh i'm looking forward to meeting both tonight and tomorrow um but um yeah, that that relationship between the summit and uh, Evoke is very real. Uh, Evoke, I think, is fair to say is more of an agritech-focused event um, and is not specifically focused on climate or sustainability. It looks at really across the entire um, agri-food uh, supply chain, uh, engages with lots of growers and producers, which is great. Uh, the summit has that kind of slightly more climate sustainability focus but we are working very closely together so AgriFutures australia are actually one of our major uh, partners um and i've been working very closely with um agri uh, australia on the three workshops that we're running here um over this the course of you know last week and the next two weeks um so there, there is a very close synergy and uh, I, I, I caught up with um, uh, Aust- AgriFutures Australia's um, managing director, John Harvey, last week for dinner, and we basically complimented each other on saying that the two events were very, very um, complementary.
1: Yeah. No, good. I can see, you know, the broader sustainability focus of the Oceania Summit and, uh, you know, harmonises well with the agritech focus for Evoke, But also, you know, travel across the ditch and uh, the synergies that happen with, with that global uh, group as well. And, out, you know, out of phase, uh, helps, you know, all those things make for a synergistic offering uh, here in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, you're, you're right. It's, I, I think it's a, it's a global market here, isn't it? Well, that's absolutely, well. that, yeah. that, that's absolutely. That's absolute. That that, I think it was the
2: point I was going to make, um, you know, uh, what, going back about nine, 10 years ago, I lived in Silicon Valley. I lived there for three years, just outside San Francisco. And it was only then that I became aware of this kind of emerging investment asset class called Agritech. Um, couldn't understand why so little of that investment was coming down to our part of the world. There was a lot going into Israel, a lot obviously being consumed in North America in the US. Uh, also quite a lot going to places like Holland, but very little down to Australia and New Zealand. I came back to New Zealand in 2015 and worked out very quickly some of the challenges that we as a country faced. And those challenges were actually shared very much by Australia. Um, and it was really around about that time that my conversations with people like AgriFuture started. And we said, look, rather than kind of New Zealand and Australia going to the global market in our own kind of se- separate ways, why can't we go as a region um, to create that kind of scale and impact? So if investors are looking down in this part of the world from London or Berlin or Paris or uh, San Francisco, they don't need to choose whether to come to New Zealand or Australia. They'll come to both. Mm. And so by having the Evoke AG um, platform and by having the Summit platform, we actually have created an opportunity to um Engage um, both both ecosystems as as a single entity, and one great example of this is only yesterday we announced the launch of the 2035 Vision um, investment platform, which is inviting early stage Australian and New Zealand agritech companies that have a specific focus on climate and sustainability to pitch for potentially millions of dollars of investment. Um, and so we are attracting a number of international investors to come down to the summit in October. Um, without that Australian component, the chances are they might not have come. Yeah. It's only because they can see Australia and New Zealand. It creates the scale, creates the deal flow that those kind of international investors are interested in. Yeah, um, And that, I think, is something that both Evoke and the summit share together.
1: Yeah. So, look, and, and that's uh, not to be underestimated what a major change that is. I mean, we've we've gone from, you know, what you know might be generously described as quite a, an immature uh, ecosystem uh, here in both Australia and New Zealand. But uh, through these types of uh, instruments, groups have come together. You know the um, uh, the different innovations have been tried and tested. We have uh, a good uh, support networks from government to encourage that innovation side. But unless it's taken up by the market, unless it's uh, the serious um, investment dollars that are available, you're never going to be able to compete on on a global. And we don't just want to be consumers of somebody else's agritech we want to be innovators in our own in our own right as well don't we
2: yeah no i, I absolutely um i mean you know new zealand and australia between the two of us you know we've got reasonably significant agricultural sectors but in the global context they remain very very small yeah. and so if yeah. our innovators only focus on those local markets they're never going to scale uh, and become you know major uh, global players um, only by working together and you know, attracting that international investment can we really scale and grow really significant um, businesses um, so i think that's one of the key purposes of both of okg next february and the summits in auckland in
1: in october yeah so peter you you know you're about to uh, embark on a really successful summit i uh, look forward to talking to you after that but what do you think what what's 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 the next what's the next challenge that you're you looking forward to you, you know you talk about the the changing kind of agri-tech ecosystem, it is changing and it is changing quite rapidly you have an idea of what else you'd like to uh, uh to focus on maybe once you've recovered uh from, <laughs> from organizing such a major summit
2: well i, I i'm gonna certainly take a few days off after it um, <laughs> um but no i i don't think actually there's going to be a huge shift in terms of my focus because the one thing i know is that there is no silver bullet to address the climate change issue it's something that's going to be
1: long term right it's going to be with us for at least our lifetimes and I, probably our children's and beyond well I, and, yeah. and i think i think that's the point um i think you know october is like the
2: starting gun in this region it's the opportunity to really begin to see how we can collaborate and uh, identify opportunities to address some of the challenges that climate change you know offers um so i don't think you know come november december i'm going to sort of step back and think well that's done (laughs) um i think this is going to keep me busy probably for the next few years
1: a lifetime calling i think you might be right (laughs) yes (laughs) Well, Peter, thanks very much. It's been a fascinating uh, conversation. We'll put the details of the 2035 Oceana Summit uh, along with that podcast, this podcast. So, if anybody's interested in going, uh, then they'll be able to follow through uh, with that. But thanks very much for coming into the studio and having
0: a fascinating conversation. It's great to be here, Andy. Thank you. That was Peter Renhilton, the CEO of War 42, and convener of the 2035 Oceana Summit speaking with our VOCAG contributor, Andy Lowe. And the 2035 Oceana Summit is offering a special offer ticket price for Australian delegates looking to attend the event on the 10th and 11th of October in Auckland, New Zealand. Simply use the code OZ2035 when registering. Early bird tickets end on the 15th of August. If you're interested in being part of an Australian delegation, please contact AgriFuture's GrowAg Engagement Manager, David Lord, via growag.com. Thanks for listening today. My name is Steve Honour, and until next time, have a great day.